This episode is brought to you by Gato Negro Wines. Find them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Gato Negro Wine, or check them out on Instagram, username Gato Negro Wine. Sip the terror of your favorite TV series with Gato Negro, adored everywhere. Hello, this is Gene Simmons of the rock group KISS, and you're not. Congratulations to Chris and Jason from the Talking Dead podcast for over 300 episodes. Do you guys get paid for this? The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode number 306, recorded Wednesday, February 16th, 2017. There was only one problem with that beginning. What's that? It's Thursday, but that's okay. What? Already? <laughs> it's already Thursday. In fact, it's right. Thursday at 9.15 p.m., so it might as well be Friday. All right. Well, I'm, ch- I'm changing the show notes oh. to, to make it Thursday. Okay, good. Now Wait, it's the... not the 17th, is it? No. No, it's it... still the 16th. Okay, I got that part right. You did. That's good. <sighs> Anyways... My brain is stupid lately. Oh, that's all right. The human brain is a, a fascinating thing, Jason, but sometimes it just fails you. Yeah. It's not running on all four cylinders today. That's that's all I got to say. My brain failed me today. I had a headache all afternoon. Just felt really terrible. And even coming home and, you know, getting home after work, I didn't feel great. And then, uh, but now I'm starting to feel better. So I think what happens is I, I start doing a podcast or start recording, sitting here in front of the microphone and I focus on something else and I don't worry about the headache anymore and it goes away. All right. Is it a, is it a tumor? Fuck, I hope not. You're supposed to say, it's not a tumor. Well, I'm the kind of person who worries about that sort of thing, so uh, <laughs> right. okay. stop stop bringing it up. All right, done. <laughs> All right, well, here we are, episode 306. Thank you so much to Gene Simmons, holy moly, for uh, sending us in that clip. I had no idea he was a listener. That's awesome. Gene Simmons from Kiss, of course. Well, of course. <laughs> from the rock band Kiss. He said it of himself. Course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, that was incredible. Anyways, we are here to do our listener feedback for the most recent episode of The Walking Dead. That would be uh, episode number nine. And uh, I say we just dive right in. Diving in, my friend. Listener feedback. All right. Let's uh, dive in with Julia in Redlands, California. Hi, Jason and Chris. This is Julia from Redlands, California. I wanted to send in a holy crap moment. Um, holy crap, did you see Rick Grimes' smile at the end of this episode? Let me just say there were a lot of ladies in that crowd of, you know, people pointing guns at him, but if I were one of them, even if I had a shotgun pointed to his head, I would have been down for that smile. It was amazing. It was beautiful. And I think Rick Grimes is coming back, bitches. And he's gathering his different legions of people to fight off the stupid saviors. Also, holy crap, there is no Negan in this episode. Thank God, because I'm over him. And uh, love the show. Love you guys. Peace. Rick Grimes is back, bitches. That's right. 
You know, and that's that's the same problem I would have if I was holding a shotgun to somebody. If they flashed a winning smile at me, I'd be like, "Oh, I don't want to shoot them." No, you can't shoot a happy person. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's yeah. is that the rule? You can't shoot a happy person. Yeah. So smile, people. Everybody <laughs> smile. That's right. It was nice to see Rick smile, and uh, I agree. I think there was just the right amount of Negan in this episode. <laughs> Zero is the correct amount? Uh, there wasn't zero. He was on a radio, remember? We heard him delivering oh, right. the eulogy for uh, uh, Fat Joey. And he said, now that Fat Joey's dead, we only have Skinny Joey. And right. if there's so no- 0.37% is the correct amount. That's the correct amount. If there's no Fat Joey, then he can't be Skinny Joey. He's just Joey. It's just, yeah, it's just, he's now Joey. Yeah. Probably okay with him, actually. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so just the right amount of Negan, point whatever percent you said. 037. All right. All right, next we have an email from Ben in London, the in the UK. I was really surprised that you guys weren't too keen on the mid-season premiere. I thought it was great. So good to see our heroes having fun for a change. The first half of the season really ground us down, but I think it's really going to pay off now. We deserve to have some fun. When was the last time we saw Rick smile? I can't even remember. Yeah, so it's been a while. It might have been Farmer Rick way back on the farm. I don't know. But, you know, I agree with everyone who who says it's nice to see our heroes having a little bit of fun or just a slightly more lighthearted episode. Even though I wasn't a huge fan of this episode, it certainly, um, it certainly did make you feel good at times. And I'm okay with feeling good, especially with The Walking Dead, you know? So much, so much bad happens on this show that once in a while, something light like this is, is not so bad. Yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd agree. There were some, f- uh, the few glaring issues with the, uh, with the episode, but, uh, I, I think I'll, you know, a slightly lighthearted, more lighthearted approach is, is okay. Well, the lightheartedness was not the problem with the episode. My problem no. with this episode was some of the, the, you know, the misuse of, of Daryl with his kind of meaningless lines throughout the episode, the, kind of ridiculousness of some of the scenes, even though I, I said, you know, I, I enjoyed watching them at times. I still couldn't put that kind of ridiculous nature out of my mind. So yeah, it, 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 it wasn't really those, it wasn't really those things of the lighthearted sort of attitude that, that got to me. Um, which reminds me, uh, I saw an interview with Greg Nicotero and I should have made a note of where it is, but he was talking about the, um, the the zombie clothesline scene between the cars. Yep. And he even kind of said that, you know, they know that was a little bit over the top. When they were filming it, they were all on set thinking, you know, this is uh this is going to be nuts, but we're gonna go for it anyways. Let's let's do this. Let's have some fun. And uh they they went for it. And the reason I bring that up is because it kind of makes me feel better about it, seeing as the, even they knew, the director knew or had a sense at the time that what they were going for here was a little bit crazy and they were all just in it for the good time. That does make me feel better. And it makes me worried about, uh, people coming down hard on Greg Nicotero for opening his mouth to, you know, bad mouthing the episode in any way. Cause oh. you know what happened to Gail Ann Hurd when she said, we got to dial back the violence. Yeah. Uh, they jumped all over that and tried to, uh, to patch that up. So now Greg Nicotero opens his mouth and now, uh, I'm wondering about if uh, there's going to be backlash. Well, I think it's a little bit different. With with Gail Ann Hurd, I think there was a miscommunication between departments there, right? There was probably some sort of internal, 
you know, writer's meeting or producer's meeting where they said, listen, we need to do something about this, maybe nothing big, but let's do it. And then she went out and made a public statement when that wasn't their intention. Um, but in this case, I feel like it's just Nicotero kind of recognizing the fact that there are going to be some people that think, oh, that was just stupid. And he wants them to know that, you know what, we're people too, and we like to have fun, and we're going to do something fun once in a while. Right. And we know when we're doing something stupid. So, you know, you don't have to tell us. Yes. Because we know. It, we know what we're doing. <laughs> we know the, the issues with what we're doing and, and what it's going to look like. But damn it, we're going to do it anyway because it's a clothesline on cars that we're going to drive through a bunch of CGI. That's right. You got to you gotta destroy that CGI, man. You got to take it right out. All right. Thank you, uh, Ben, for that. Ben also said that he did all of his Christmas shopping with our Amazon link. So a uh, big thank you to Ben. Yeah, I'm clapping. A round of that applause. deserves applause. <laughs> all right. Very good. Uh, ben is the first listener officially to ever get applause. That's true. That's, that is the first one. That's exciting. Anyways, Kevin in Calgary wrote in and Kevin wrote, when King Ezekiel was putting the child to bed, he was reciting from memory the finale of Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. One of Dr. King's principal tenets was nonviolent civil disobedience to bring about change, and Ezekiel's bedtime story foretells his decision the next day to not join Rick's armed uprising against the saviors. While it appears uh, Gregory refuses to join Rick's group out of cowardice, and Ezekiel appears to be more pragmatic with his, quote, I have to keep my citizens safe, unquote, explanation, maybe there is more to it. Maybe Ezekiel's position is a deeply held principle. If so, for Rick's group to get assistance from the kingdom, they'll either have to get Ezekiel to abandon his principles, or like the hilltop, they may have to do an end around and directly deal with Richard or the other citizens. So, uh, first of all, Kevin informs us where, at which point in this episode exactly did Ezekiel quote Martin Luther King Jr. Right. Uh, which you and I didn't pick up on, even though one of our listeners in the Holy Craps on Monday pointed that out. Yep. So, so that's nice. That's Thank nice. You, Kevin. And I feel kind of dumb about that, but what are you going to do? Well, I, you know, I, I regularly feel dumb, so I'm okay with it. So, so you don't feel so bad. All right. Yeah. Anyways, yeah, thank you, Kevin, for pointing that out. But I think it's uh, I think it's an interesting topic of discussion here, though, just that, you know, Ezekiel is holding to his principles, right? This is what he wants to do. This is how he chooses to live in this world. And he's not going to just immediately sort of cave to Rick's request and say, sure, I'll join you in your fight where everyone is probably going to die. It, it kind of makes sense when you when you think about it. Even though earlier in the week I said I was surprised to see that, it's not all that shocking to think that someone might not want to jump at the chance to start a war. Yeah, yeah. Not he he's protecting his kingdom in the way that he knows how. So if he can protect his kingdom without violence and have it maintain have it still be whole, that's what he's going to do. Yeah, yeah. And and why wouldn't he really? Like he's being rather regal or kingly. I think both of those words mean the same thing, right? Uh, yeah, they do. Except kingly might not be a word. <laughs> well, kingly's fine with me. All right. As long as it's good with you. He, I think of it as monarchish. Monarchish. I always thought Mon that meant to be butterfly-like. Yeah, that's also, uh, you know, butterflyitude is what you're <laughs> thinking, is the word you're thinking of. Oh, sorry. Good. <laughs> 
it's uh, vocabulary time with Chris and Jason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, we moving on, or am I going to make up more words? No, keep going, keep going. You don't need to make uh, up any more, more words. Oh, okay. All right, next we have an email from Ken in Wisconsin. Greetings. Being from Wisconsin, I couldn't help but notice the Wisconsin license plate hanging on the wall in the home of Aaron and his friend on tonight's episode. Just curious if there's any meaning to it. Well, if I'm not mistaken... When we were first introduced to Aaron and Eric, we found out that they'd been out on scavenger runs and things like that, and they were collecting license plates from abandoned cars, right? Yep. That was a thing back when we first met them, and they were trying to get all 50 states. So I guess they've already collected Wisconsin and put it up on the wall. Well, good for them. I, I don't remember noticing the license plate on the wall, but uh, maybe there were more. Like maybe that was their wall of license plates. I don't know. It could be. I know my father-in-law has some license plates uh, nailed up in his garage. That's a thing because I have a couple in my garage too. And for some weird reason, when, well, my grandfather used to keep, you know, old license plates. And then after he died and we sold uh, a property of his, I took those license plates and I still have at least one of them. There weren't many. I mean, he wasn't a big collector or anything, but I have at least one that was, you know, on a car that he was driving around in the 60s, which I thought was kind of cool. Right. And then when I was in Alaska, I actually bought a, I mean, I guess it's not a real Alaska license plate because they don't sell those to uh, tourists, but no. I bought um, I bought one there and we were driving. I also got one in um, the Yukon or the Northwest Territories. I forget which one I, I got now, but it was shaped like a polar bear. It was really cool. My father-in-law has a license, a real license plate that's shaped like a polar bear. Oh, that's like cool. Like it's an actual one. I don't know where he got it, what the story is behind it, but I just know it's in his garage. But that's, it, it is one of the Canadian territories where it is. they have that or shape. Or was. Or do they still? I, that's a really good question. I don't know. But it, nonetheless, it's a cool license plate to own. Northern listeners, write us in and let us know what uh, what province or territory uses a bear as a license plate, or if they still do. If only there was a way to find out immediately, but nah, it's more fun to have the listeners let us know. Yeah, only, you know, there's there's this uh, inter intercommunication web of uh, information of some kind that we could possibly use, but, you know, screw that. It's too hard. How do you even get on that thing these days? Yeah. I personally, I'm collecting wives from all uh, 10 provinces. Uh, so far, I have a wife from Ontario. <laughs> Very good, Jason. You're doing great. <laughs> yeah, it's a good start. <laughs> okay. Um, but anyways, yeah, Aaron and Eric were collecting license plates. So that was a, I guess, a little bit of a in-show Easter egg kind of thing, yeah. you know, to, yeah. to remind us of that. Chris from Connecticut writes in, I felt that the premiere was pretty boring outside of a few highlights, but I'm glad that it was. They chose to have them go to every other camp in one episode rather than stretching it out. I believe that because they did this, the rest of the season will be much better. And that's uh, sort of how I feel. Uh, I have no idea how the rest of the season's going to go, if it's going to be great or not so great, but I do think that uh, it's a it was a good decision to get these two conversations out of the way in one episode, right? We didn't need a whole episode trying to convince Gregory and then a whole nother episode trying to convince uh, Ezekiel, do it all at once, get it over with. Both of them basically turned Rick down. And now the season's going to be about him 
coming up with another plan or finding new people, which he sort of already has or whatever, you know, and we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. So we got all that shit out of the way. That's what I'm saying. We kind of got it out of the way. We can feel good about that and not have to worry about, you know, constantly going back to Gregory and begging him to join or anything like that. Uh, I mean, hey, that might still happen. You never know. <laughs> you but, never know. But what I think is more likely is that events will transpire that force Gregory and Ezekiel to get involved in the conflict for some reason, um, especially Ezekiel. I don't know about Gregory, but we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to see. Not that anybody listens to Gregory. I mean, the Hilltop's going to get involved whether Gregory wants to or not. Yeah, and we already know that his people approached Maggie and said, you know, we will help. But uh, when it comes to Ezekiel, I feel like he he's on a much firmer uh he's on much firmer ground for him to stand his ground <laughs> yeah absolutely because he's got a freaking tiger you exactly. know who doesn't listen to the guy with the tiger you always listen to the guy with the tiger i wonder if negan knows he has a tiger negan doesn't come in remember and he doesn't oh. seem to take the tiger out well wait he did take the tiger to carol's place maybe that's why negan doesn't go in there maybe negan's afraid of tigers yeah he's got a big a large cat fear a giant cat. It is cat the here. largest cat. Yeah. Well, I'll be honest with you. I'd be afraid of a tiger if I encountered one outside of a zoo. Yeah. I generally don't like to cuddle up with things that uh, outweigh me two to one with uh, razor sharp claws and uh, a set of jaws that could crush my skull like a pineapple. Uh, pineapple? Watermelon? Either way. Egg? Yeah. All of those apply. I mean, you get a, you get a tiger's, you get your head in a tiger's mouth and... Yeah. You're probably not going to uh, tell anyone about it the next day. Yeah, like soft cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> going to crush my head like soft cheese. That's right. It's just about it. <laughs> yeah. All right, next we have an email from Andy in Windy, UK. What I did like about this episode is the fact that Rosita has become a full-on good character. Now that a few of the group are dead and gone, she's really starting to shine. Even if the Rosita Sasha, we just fucked the same guy interaction is slightly at odds with how we saw, uh, saw these two last. Yeah. So I think what Andy's referring to is back in the mid season, uh, finale episode, uh, eight, they kind of nodded to each other at the big reunion at the right. hilltop. And it seemed like maybe they were starting to patch things up or at least not at odds with each other. But in this episode, maybe Rosita was just grumpy, you know, she's having a bad day and they won't be so mean to each other later on, but she was kind of snarky. She was kind of snarky. And I mean, I guess I don't hold that against her. She can be snarky, but whatever. I don't know. What about this idea that uh, Rosita is developing into more of a character all of a sudden? Uh, we'll see. I mean, that would be nice if we could, if she comes to the forefront and becomes a, uh, you know, a more primary character. I think that'd be nice. She always has kind of been in the background, right? She's been around. She's been definitely there, but, but episodes go by where she might just be in the background and not have a line or, or not in it at all. So yeah, I think, I think there's a little bit more breathing room now to bring her to the forefront a bit more. Um, and, but that could apply to, you know, a lot of characters. So yeah, we'll have to true. see what's going on. Yeah. Uh, Justine in NorCal writes, in reference to Rosita's skills coming out of nowhere, 
I recall a couple of years ago, I think in season five, after they escaped the train car and were on the road, Rosita showing Glenn and Tara how to filter river water, explaining that she had learned how to do that, and a lot of other things from Eugene, like diffusing bombs, I guess. Yeah, I guess not explicitly stated, but if she learned how to filter water, why wouldn't she learn how to de- uh, defuse bombs? Defuse? Defuse. Yeah. That's, that's a word. It sure is. You didn't make that <laughs> one up. I'm telling you, four cylinders, they ain't working today. You may have got the emphasis wrong, but it's we, we understood what you meant. Yeah. Um, Disinfusilate. Oh, yeah. Now <laughs> you're making them up. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I mean, filter water, that's that's one thing. Like, I think that that is a common survival or maybe even sort of outdoorsy camping type skill. Diffusing bombs is on a whole different level. Yeah, I mean, it de- it depends on where you're from, really. I remember when I was living in Alberta and uh, I was in the Boy Scouts, uh, you know what one of the uh, the troop leaders taught me how to do? Tie your shoes, uh, clean your underwear. Um, I was old enough that I knew how to tie my shoes oh. already, all by my lonesome. Okay. Um, tie, uh, he taught uh, tie me a how to tie, tie a noose. Oh, like Great. he taught me the actual structure of an uh, of how to tie an actual noose. This is not something you should teach a twelve year old. I'm just saying. Well, it's it's kind of an interesting skill to have. I don't know how often it comes in handy. Hopefully, not very hitch, often. Hitch, fine, you know, sheep shank, whatever. I don't know the names of knots, but <laughs> noose. <laughs> you tell me how to tie a noose. So you know what I'm saying is that uh, depending on where you're from. Depending on who you're learning from, you're gonna you're gonna learn some weird skills. Sheepshank, you know, I you could have just gone with that. I, that sounds like the name of a knot. It, I don't know why. It, is it? <laughs> it sounds like it. I mean, if you're if you're if you're herding sheep, I mean, you, I could you could say to your partner, "Hey, man, tie this into a sheepshank for me, and we'll go round up those those uh, woolies over there." Those woolies? That's <laughs> the slang term for sheep. I don't know. I wish I could have come to that sooner, but uh, a sheep shank. <laughs> that sounds like a knot. All right. Well, I know noose is the name of a knot, and that's what I learned in the in the Boy Scouts. Yeah, that's the one knot everybody knows, sadly. It's the one thing I learned in the Boy Scouts. I never got a single badge at all, but I did learn one thing. Actually, no, I learned two things. I le- one thing I learned is tying a noose. The other thing is do not pitch your tent between... Uh, the bison and their water source because they will knock down your tent. And if you're in it, you're not going to feel too good about that. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, those are good life skills, but I really don't think that bomb diffusion as she displayed in this episode is something she knows. Now, if she was in the army, if she was trained for some reason that we just don't know about, fine, that's, that's okay. Even Eugene, like a smart guy like that, who's a bit of a scientist, I mean, maybe he would have the required background knowledge to teach himself how to defuse bombs or homemade bombs, for example, like this. But I, I just don't know if that's ever happened, and I don't know if we ever will. We may just have to buy into the fact that Rosita knows how to do this, or she got really, really lucky and said, I'm going to take this panel off the ground and, oh, look, a battery. I bet we disconnect the battery. Yeah, well, that's what I would think, but I learned that from watching TV. Yeah, well, they're probably not watching too much TV on the show, but think about it. If you didn't want a car to run, Jason, and you opened yep. the hood, what would you do? You'd take out the battery. <laughs> no, I'd pull the nest of wires out that everybody always pulls out, because you don't just unhook the battery, because people can hook that back up. There's a, like a mess of wires attached to the top of an old truck, and you just you yank that out, 
and then uh, the car can't run. Like that was in Groundhog Day, right? Remember when uh, when he pulled out, he opened up the hood of the the van and pulled out a mess mess of wires. Uh, yeah, I can that that happens in movies for sure. But I think in if if I'm like okay, I want to disable this car right here and right now. Uh, I guess there are a number of ways you could do it. Uh, banana in the tailpipe. If I learned anything from Beverly Hills Cop, it's put a banana in the tailpipe. Car can't run. Sugar down the gas tank. Sugar down the gas tank. You know, slash the tires. But that's physically damaging the car. You can... I've had my tires slashed. It's not fun. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Outside my house. Somebody went up the street and just slashed every second car, the tire, one of the tires in every second car kind of thing. What kind of crappy ass neighborhood do you live in? I've been there. It seems pretty nice. It is pretty nice. Except I mean, for, it only happened once. Except for the hooligans some, slashing your tires and drawing penises on your sidewalk. Well, they carving the yeah, they carving the penis in the sidewalk. I came <laughs> to terms with that because you know that's been a time honored tradition for thousands of years that people uh, scratch phallic symbols into rocks and stuff. Was the was it wet cement? It was wet cement. Somebody drew. Uh, it was like the the only real problem I have with it is the artistic merit, merit on the actual penis that was carved into my sidewalk when the cement was wet. The artistic merit is pretty low. I wish they had done a better job. So you're not, you're not opposed to the prank. You're opposed no. to the, the quality of the prank. Right. You know, the hooliganism is, is, is fine and, you know, alive and well in my neighborhood, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, slashing the tires, whatever. You know, I had to buy a new tire. What are you going to do? Because they slashed the side of the wall, not on the tread. Uh-huh. Uh, so we had to get a whole new tire, which was a pain in the ass. Uh, same with everybody up up and down the street, except for my one neighbor. Huh. They didn't have their car touched. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. We all got cameras, by the way, outside our house at that point. Like now there's like seven houses on the street that all have cameras pointed at their driveway. Well, it's never going to happen again now. Yeah. Um, is the penis uh, artwork still there? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Good. You should take a picture of it. Okay. And so that way we can show everyone your terribly art 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 No, terribly drawn penis. Yeah, I'm not I'm not enti- you know, carving penises into or phallic symbols. I'm not gonna, be... gonna say penises, but phallic symbols into rocks or drawing, you know, that's a time honored thing. People have been doing that for thousands of years. It's true. Uh but you know, putting pictures of penis penises on the internet, I'm not sure if it, you know, it's just a drawing or a carving, so maybe it's okay. Maybe. Uh, terribly Drawn Penis is going to be the name of my next album. Do I have to find the guy to, you know, give him copyright? <laughs> am, I, am I going to be infringing his copyright if I do that? Pretty sure that's going to be okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyhow, let's uh, move on to the next email here. I think it's yours. Uh, okay, and, so next and, we have Christy in the UK. And I think you have to, to yeah, that's it's not a question. That's where she's from. <laughs> but I think you also have to read this one with a healthy dose of sarcasm in your voice. All right. All right. From Christy in the UK, thank God no one left a detectable mess in the, uh, thank God no one left a detectable mess in the place they shouldn't have been in this episode. Uh, If you move a bad guy's car, he will notice. So best not to do that. Just leave 500 yards of dead people chopped up. That should be okay, right? Yeah, exactly. We can't move these cars because if we do, they're going to know we were here. So we got to move them back. But you know what? Let's chop up all these these dead people and steal their bombs, and it'll be fine. So that's not why they moved the cars back. So they moved the, the intent here was uh, that they would move the cars out of the way so that they could get onto the highway, right? Because it was they were on the on ramp. All these cars were uh, blocking the on ramp onto the highway. So they moved the cars so that they could get onto the highway. They were planning on moving the cars back so that nobody would know that they had come through here. 
But once they found the uh, the dynamite and they decided to take it, um, they knew that somebody would know that they were there. But you know, it was the value the the value of the dynamite was so high that it was worth the risk of somebody knowing that they were there. They just wouldn't know who. Once they saw the herd, then they decided to move the cars back so that the herd would stay on the highway as intended, because that's what the cars were blocking the on-ramp for, so that the herd would stay on the highway, because Rick said, I think we could use them, or you know, they'll come in handy later, or something like that. That herd is going to come back into the storyline. Uh, and on that highway, because I think the reason that uh, they blocked all the on-ramps is so that they would come through that wire with the dynamite on it to blow up the whole herd for some ridiculous reason. Uh, because it's pointing directly towards Negan's camp, right? But by disarming it and blocking the on-ramp again, the herd, the main body of the herd, is still going to be pointed down that highway, directly where Rick wants them to go. Okay, but so Negan set the trap. I assume. With the intention of destroying the herd or keeping it going in the same direction? Well, they were trying to... Uh, get the herd going in that direction so that it would hit that trap, that dynamite trap. Okay, so Negan's trying to destroy the herd. Yes. Even though he uses zombies outside his his compound as protection and things like that, but he doesn't need that many. So he was trying to, um, the cars were parked in the on-ramp to keep them on the highway and funnel them into the trap. Yep. Rick was going to move the cars originally or sorry, was going to move the cars and originally move them back to hide their presence there. But yep. then when the herd started coming, they were trying to move them back also to keep them going into the trap, which they had just dismantled. Right. Okay. So Rick knows that dismantling the trap means that the herd will continue along the highway unobstructed. Yes. And they're going to use that later. Because I think that I'm basing all of that off of a line, and I forget the line in the episode where... Uh, Rick says we could use them or we're going to need them or something like that. Yeah, I do remember that line and it was pretty quick, almost a bit of a throwaway line, but you're right. I feel like that might come back, uh, in and be important later. You know, if they're going to somehow direct those zombies straight at Negan as the opening wave of their attack or something like that, that's, uh, who knows, who knows what's going to happen. It was confusing. Like we got to move the cars and move them back. Oh, we're going to take all this dynamite. So, but we still got to move the cars back. Like, why are you doing that? So I think it all makes sense if with that one line, we need that, those cars to keep these zombies on the highways because we're going to need them later. Right. Okay. Well, they're still on the highway, I guess. And Rick is going to keep track of them and maybe he'll divert them somewhere else later. Unless that highway actually does lead right into, you know, Negan's location. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, you broke up there for a second. It's just, I think you're... Video is out of sync. Are you still there? I am still here. All right. Well, your video is out of sync, but I, I stopped caring. All right. All right. Well, I can hear you. Your video is not very good. Okay, good. Next up is a short email from Lucy in Newmarket, UK. Lucy writes, if your group has two guns, would you give one of them to the half-blind teenager? <laughs> yes. He's a good shot. And, and remember last, in the first half of the season, he was practicing with the darts and getting used to, you know, doing things with one eye. So maybe he's really come a long way and he's the best marksman they have now, uh, even though he only has one eye. Yeah. I would call him Deadeye Carl. That Deadeye Grimes. 
Yeah, Dead Eye Grimes. He's, he's got a hat. Look at the hat. The hat says it all. If he's got that hat and only one eye, he can use that one good eye to aim. He's got a hat. He's got the long, bushy hair. He's got the eye patch. I mean, he's a pirate. Oh, yeah. Pretty That's much. true. I never thought of that. <laughs> yeah. Pirate, That's awesome. Pirate Carl Grimes. He needs right. three guns then. And like one, the pirates used to have multiple uh, flintlock pistols all over their chest and stuff so they could pull them out because they were just one-shot dealies. So if you had six one-shot dealies, you had six shots. And that's that's uh, all you need, really. He's, he, he needs to wear big pirate boots and maybe a buccaneer or something. Yeah, find a parrot. Do, do it all. Find a parrot. You'd have to lose his leg and put a peg on it, though. That's the only problem. Well, this is the friggin' Walking Dead. That's not out of the question, Jason. <laughs> We've already had a peg leg character. That's true. And he was decapitated by a sword. So come on. Hard to put a peg on that. <laughs> it sure is. All right. Next, we have an email from Jennifer in Minneapolis. I want to point out something really cool. The song playing as the survivors reach the kingdom is an acoustic version of the Dream Academy's Life in a Northern Town. One of the reasons I love this show is its attention to detail. The song is basically telling us that in, a, in a very subversive way that this this is a ho-hum, idyllic, normal little town. Nothing to see here, folks. Let's not wreck this. I love it. What a cool addition that most people wouldn't notice. Yeah, I mean, music and sound design and soundtrack and all that is important to really any, usually any TV show or movie. The Walking Dead's no exception. So it is cool. I don't know how much Bear McCreary, the composer for the show, has to do with the actual music they choose, but he probably has something to do with it. Um, but he composes the original score, and, yep. um, you know, maybe it's more in a music supervisor's hands or an editor's hands to choose the song, choose the music they use when it's when it's not some of Bear McCreary's work. But he might be involved in those decisions. I wouldn't be surprised. So it is cool. And uh, I had no idea this about this song. And uh, it is a neat little thing to to point out. So thanks, Jennifer. Yeah. And there are different, uh, different ways that people, like you can license music for a TV show or a movie. There's a, uh, you know, synchronization license where you can play the, the song, but not the recorded version of it, like the, 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 that the original artist recorded. So you can do a cover and it has different licensing implications than if you put in the actual song and synchronize that with, uh, uh, with the video. Right. And so in this case, it was, uh, Jennifer says it was, a an acoustic version of, life in a northern town so probably a recreated version of the song but they've used actual original artist music as well too so i guess it depends on how much the licensing is well i don't think it was purely of you know a cost factor i just think that uh, you know when making the decision what the, what music to have you have to decide whether or not you want to actually use the actual recorded version or whether you want to just buy the rights to the song and then have somebody else record a version for you right 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 my friend Gord works in this very industry, and I might ask him that. He'll be able to tell me. He licenses music for a music company. Yeah. So it's like a, one of them's called a synchronization license, and another, I forget what the other version is, and I'm not sure which one the synchronization license is, whether it's the, the cover version or the, uh, the actual version. Right. Cool. Any, in any case, pretty neat, and uh, the music is important, and it always informs what you're looking at, most of the time, Tis. anyway. Tis does, yes. Okay, Beth in Scotland writes in, My holy crap moment from this week was the epic way that Rick dealt with Ezekiel. He read him right, and although it hasn't worked out yet the way he wanted, he totally understood him. Our Rick 
is one who relies on force and his strong leadership to get what he wants most of the time. But he took one look at Ezekiel, realized that wasn't going to work, and spun him a beautiful yarn that fully encapsulated the situation. Amazing. Right. Right? Instead of forcing him into doing it or getting mad or drawing his gun and waving around his gun in the room, he decided to tell him a story that he knew Ezekiel would pick up on. Or yeah. at least, at least, you know, feel something and identify with. So if there was any chance of getting Ezekiel on board, it wasn't through a show of power. It was a, through a show of mutual understanding. Yeah, that's quite, it, it really is quite an amazing skill to be able to look at someone and then uh, uh, speak to them in their own crazy. Right. You, you got to speak to people in their own brand of nut jobness. <laughs> yeah. And if you can pull that off, that's, that's wonderful. And it's the same thing with sincerity. Once you can fake that, you're all set. You'll get anything you want in life, eh? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what Rick did in this case. And uh, I mean, it didn't quite work, or at least not yet. But I think Ezekiel was closer to coming on board than he would have been if Rick had just said, hey, F you, man, you're not a king, but you're going to help us, whether you like it or not. Look, don't be an idiot. What the hell are you doing here? Like, what are you, crazy? Right. Come, come fight with me crazy nobody nobody will do that never convinces anybody to do anything it's like telling someone who's hysterical to calm down yeah don't ever tell your uh, angry wife to calm down it does not work i'm just talking specifically from experience sure with your ontario <laughs> wife when you get yeah, a, yeah my ontario wife my you know my first of uh of a collection when you get your quebec wife maybe it'll work with her i, I doubt it though i doubt it <laughs> yeah of course not I'm not even going to pick a province. I'm going to say, you know, maybe Manitoba, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> PEI, they're pretty calm over there anyway, right? Uh, they're, they're the island people are very nice. Yeah. I love PEI. Never been. All right, where are we? I've lost track of you, me, this. You have to read Dan. Dan in London, UK. Dan writes, why did Negan take all of the guns from Rick's group, but let the kingdom keep theirs? It doesn't make any sense. You would think they would have one rule for everyone and wouldn't want the kingdom to have the ability to fight back. I can see Dan's point. I mean, except maybe Negan made a mistake. Maybe this was Negan's critical error. He let the uh, kingdom keep their weapons. Uh, yes, I think. Well, let me think back, not think back, but look at, uh, let's look at Hilltop. So Hilltop is also uh, part of the Negan uh, society and they don't have any firearms. They have a smithy where they make halberds and stuff and, uh, but the kingdom got to keep their weapons. Why? Well, the only thing I can think of is maybe the kingdom and the Hilltop never showed any kind of show of force against the saviors, right? Maybe they were always very um, passive or peaceful. And Negan, I mean, on one hand, maybe it just never occurred to him to take their weapons because these people clearly don't know how to use them or aren't interested in using them. But Rick comes along and the first thing Rick does is kill a whole bunch of Negan's guys and this says to Negan, okay, these guys have weapons. They know how to use them. They're not afraid to use them. So we need to take their toys away. Yeah. So maybe that's the thing. Because we know, also know that, uh, that Negan has never entered the, uh, the kingdom 
the in, inside of the kingdom. They've always dealt with them on the outside. Yep. So obviously when Negan ran into the kingdom and they first encountered each other, they encountered each other outside of the actual kingdom and they made a deal right then and there. And their deal included, don't come in my compound. It could be, yeah. It's, and so, I mean, Negan might not have a full understanding of how big the kingdom actually is. If he's never been inside, he doesn't really see what they're doing there. And maybe that's one reason too, they can get away with providing them, um, you know, disease infested pigs or whatever they were doing. Right. He right. just, he doesn't know that they actually aren't providing all of the good stuff they have, you know? Yeah. And, and if he just doesn't have an idea, I, part of me feels like it's unlikely that Negan would just let that slide. He's, he feels like the kind of guy who would send a team over and be like, we got to go in there and check the place out. We can't just take their word for it. Right. Yeah. But, but maybe, he, maybe he did. Maybe he's, he's not quite as organized as we seem to think, or as he appears. Maybe he just wants, like Negan, what he wants is with every, uh, uh, every group that he encounters, he just wants a status quo. He wants to get something out of it and for them to just not be a threat in whatever way he can accomplish that he does it with uh, the hilltop. It was, you know, go in, show a force, take everything that, uh, that he wanted and uh, make them, I don't know, make them, make him weapons. I'm not sure what with, uh, uh, with the kingdom, it was, I need pigs. These guys can get pigs. I don't have to go in there. Like they're, they seem pretty solid and they got a freaking tiger. So I'm not going to go anywhere near that guy because you know, tigers have claws. We've, co- we've covered this. Uh, and then with the, uh, with the Alexandria people, you're absolutely right. The first encounter that they had was, the you know, mass destruction, lots of, lots of death from firearms. So once he got a hold of them, he had to, uh, take away all their firearms. Yeah. He's kind of dealing with every situation uniquely, right? In, in what way he thinks is best. Alexandrians are dangerous, so they can't have weapons. Uh, the kingdom has you know, maybe he does know they have a lot of livestock and crops, so they're mostly providing food right. stuffs, you know, and the, the hilltop, well, I don't know, they hardly have anything, or maybe they have manufacturing skills with their ability to make spears and bows and whatnot. So who knows what they're providing, but maybe it's that kind of thing. So, yeah. you know, we'll have to see. Anyways, uh, next email here is from Dilith in Sri Lanka. Much like the two of you, I was confused why the cable would be connected to the cars, especially two cars that had gas and could be hotwired. I thought about it for a while, and I think the reason to do this is so that the saviors can move the dynamite trap to another location if they please. All they would have to do is take out the battery and then start the transportation process. Son of a bitch. I don't know about that. Um, one no, thing- I'm on board. What's wrong with that? Well, okay. Um, Rosita, the dynamite expert, even after she took the battery out, said you have to be extremely careful with this dynamite because it can explode at any time. So taking the battery out and then just driving the cars around with all the dynamite strapped to the wire seems unnecessarily dangerous. Maybe that's what the hilltop is for. To have people to drive his dangerous traps around. (laughs) You guys, you can't provide food (laughs) or weapons or anything, so you guys get to drive the explodey cars. That's right. (laughs) Good luck with that. (laughs) You're my dynamite wranglers. (laughs) Yeah, the dynamite runners. So um, that's going to be the name of my band, the Dynamite Runners. There you go. And what was my album? I can't remember now, damn it. 
I'll have to go check I, the tape later. I have no, no idea. Uh, anyways, I, I don't know. I feel like driving around those cars with the dynamite attached is a really good way to get yourself blown up. But, you know, I maybe, maybe that's what they wanted to do. Maybe it was just, uh, maybe they take the dynamite off, then move the cars, uh, and then put the dynamite back on. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But it's a decent idea. Like, it's it's worth thinking about. I suppose, yeah. If they need to move the trap, it's fairly easy to do if it's attached to vehicles rather than the highway railings on the side of the road. Maybe the trap was designed and built off-site so that they could easily deploy it to where they needed it because they didn't know where they needed it at at the time that they were building it. So they're like, okay, we know this herd is on the highway. We have a team of people blocking all the on-ramps and off-ramps so that these people would, these zombies would stay on the highway. We know we want to put this dynamite trap on the highway in front of them, but I don't know how far they're going to get by the time we build it. So we better build it someplace where we can move it to where we want it to go easily. (laughs) And sadly, they didn't realize they had to cross a really narrow bridge on the way. Well, you know, maybe they just did the cars were together and they had wound up and they had somebody standing on the roof of the car with the wire in their hand and they had, uh, you know, in the back of a truck, they had three other guys hugging dynamite. And then when they got there, they just deployed the whole thing and they had it all down so that we'd get deployed in, uh, you know, a matter of minutes rather than go in there and go, okay, now we got to string this wire and we got to tighten it up. Okay, now we got to get the dynamite, you know, it's just easier to deploy it in some kind of mobile fashion. All right. It's a mobile dynamite car trap. Yeah. And once it's there, it's not meant to move after that. It's just, it's deployed. It's got, you get the wire, the wire's taut, the, uh, the dynamite's on there. Let's get the F out of here. No, don't bother emptying the gas out of the cars. Let's just go. Let's we just need go. need more incendiary explodey explodey anyway. Yeah. If, if it blows up, maybe the cars will explode and then you will get a fireball. That's right. All right. I'll, I'll buy into your theory, Dilith. Jason convinced me. Sort of. All right. Yeah. All right, so next we have an email from Ariel in Argentina. I think that Father Gabriel is working a plan with the guy in the hoodie, who I think is Dwight. We do know that Dwight is planning something, and he's had a t- he has had time to give instructions to Gabriel in any of the collection visits to Alexandria. Father Gabriel is following Dwight's plans, but he doesn't like to lie to the group, so uh, he's a bit upset for taking all the food and weapons. But he knows that this will make Rick and the gang go after him, to the boat. I don't think that Gabriel is being kidnapped or forced to do this. Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that the guy in the boots or the person in the boots is Dwight, but I don't know if it's completely impossible that it would be him. We do have a feeling that Dwight is working on something or his, his complete devotion to Negan isn't entire, isn't a hundred percent. Like I do get the feeling that that's a bit of an act. So, you know, Dwight could be working on something. I don't think, to be honest, that it was Dwight in the forest with the boots. And I'm still convinced that that uh, Father Gabe is not, you know, working. He, I, I believe he's being coerced into doing whatever he's doing. Uh, but it is an interesting idea. You know, Dwight's doing something. So it maybe is Dwight. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm not entirely convinced it's Dwight either, but it could be. Well, yeah, it's pretty much what I'm saying. It could be Dwight. I don't think so. Uh, I still think that Father Gabe is being pushed into this. Uh, not really kidnapped, but I guess in a way he's being kidnapped. He's being taken somewhere against his will, so. Being priest-napped. Ooh, priest-napped. It's even worse. Uh, or is it? I don't know. 
<laughs> uh, I'll just leave that right there and move on. Our next email is from Enema. Enema. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. Oh, <laughs> roll that back, my friend. I'm just going to roll that back. Emma, I'm sorry, in Winnipeg, Manitoba. <laughs> I think the boat note was written by Fancy Boots, i.e. boat guy himself. We already know that he likes writing notes, the uh, like the you still lose note that Rick and Aaron found on the boat. And he saw Rick and Aaron raid the boat. Father Gabriel doesn't know about the boat, or at the very least doesn't know where it is, but Fancy Boots sure does. This is Fancy Boots leading Rick and the gang back. So I think this is interesting. The idea here is that Gabriel didn't write the the word boat, but Fancy yep. Boots, or uh, possibly Dwight, did with the intention of drawing Rick and them back to wherever they were going. That That is interesting. And I like the fact that we have a name for Fancy Boots now. Uh, yes, Fancy Boots. That's true. I guess we'll call them Fancy Boots until this Sunday when we find out who it really is. Yeah, once, once we find out, then we <laughs> might put a name to it. But right now, for the rest of the week, he's going to be Fancy Boots. Or she. Yeah. It could be, could be either. Um, but what the, the, the question this raises then is what are fancy boots intentions is fan are, is fancy boots trying to draw Rick out to be friendly or to be unfriendly? We don't know. And, uh, father Gabriel didn't look too happy about it, but frankly, regardless of what fancy boots, intentions were, father Gabriel probably wouldn't be too happy because again, I still feel like he's being coerced into doing this. Yep. Right. So I don't know. We'll have to find out. I think the ideal scenario for Rick and everybody is that he ends up back at fancy boots, group, which are probably the people we saw at the end there. And they oh, say, yeah. they say, Hey, we know this or, you know, we, we know the saviors and we heard that you're going to start a fight against them. We want to help out with that because we don't like them either. That's true. You know, that's the best scenario for Rick. Uh, it's probably not going to be that simple, but maybe that's what we'll get. Yeah. I think that's what we will get. You don't think Rick will have to do any convincing? Like he won't have to. No, oh, to... he'll have to do some convincing. He's, you know, flash his winning smile, be charming, be happy, uh, talk logic and, uh, get them on board. I think it'll take some, some work, but I think it's going to happen. Well, move on to the next uh, email here, Jason, because I think this idea is interesting and could make Rick's job a lot easier. All right. So we have Deanne in Natchez. Sure. Natchez, Mississippi. I like it. Natchez. Okay. Uh, Deanne writes, I'm sure Rick is smiling at the end because the person that is covered that we can't see is Heath. He's been gone forever. And I think uh, he's he's there with this group. Could it, that Heath is somebody I didn't consider. It is not somebody I considered either. It could be Heath. It could be Heath. So Heath uh, disappeared after the Terra episode with uh, Ocean Side. And I don't feel like he's been gone for that long because I feel like Terra just got back, right? But maybe it has been a, a week or two. And it's possible that Heath was on his way back to Alexandria, but got mixed up with this other group. Turns out they're not so bad. And uh, he's hung out with them for a bit. So maybe it is Heath, you know? Maybe Heath will be the guy that steps up at the beginning of Sunday night's episode and says, wait, 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 I know this guy, he's okay. You should listen to him. Yeah, it could be. Except that Heath is the one who was talking about 
how much how much doubt he had in Rick to Tara anyways, right? It, it is. So if it is true. Heath, maybe Heath is going to be like, I'm not with them. Don't listen to them. And he's just going to screw <laughs> everything up. Maybe it's Jesus. Maybe Jesus is everywhere. Uh, well, from what I hear, Jesus is everywhere, Jason, but uh, not on the show. I think he can only be in one place at one time. I don't know. He's pretty fancy. Well, he is. He is quite... I mean, he's no fancy boots, but he's pretty fancy. He's quite the guy. Um, but anyways, I think there's, we've, we've done a lot of, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, who knows what's going on in this, in this podcast, but I think there's a lot of questions open right now and there's a lot to speculate on. There is, and I don't have any answers. I mean, I, I, I'm not entirely convinced that it is Heath, but (laughs) I'm back to it. It could be. Yeah. It's, I think it's (laughs) as good a theory as anything else. Like it's. If, if Father Gabriel led them there, he's probably there, and it could be him. It could be Heath. I think there's less chance of it being Dwight, but, you know, you never know. Yeah. All right, a couple more. Cheryl in Palmdale, California. I think I know the reason. Oh, this is um this is a more general sort of email that we got uh, a little while ago when we were questioning why so many extra or extra length episodes. Yeah. Extra minutes, extra bonus minutes. And Cheryl wrote in with a theory. She writes, I think I know the reason for the extended episode times. Here in the States, there is a content standard for after 8 p.m. and after 10 p.m. If you remember the dialogue between Negan and Rick at Alexandria, where Negan said, I just slid my dick down your throat and you thanked me for it. That dialogue cannot air before 10 p.m., so it happened just after 10 p.m. as one of the last scenes of the episode. I hope the extended times will therefore reflect scenes and scenarios which cannot air before 10 p.m. Oh, that's a good theory as anything as well. Well, you know, I don't know what these content standards are. If there's certain things you can get away with, you know, before 8, after 8, then after 10 o'clock. Like, maybe you can't say dick. Yeah, but come on. They've said dick and lots of times on the show before 10 o'clock. But maybe you can't imply sliding dick down your throat. I don't know. That's pretty graphic. I mean, you know, just overall, I mean, all you're doing is saying the word dick. Uh, that's, you know, anywhere in any, like, out of context, you can say the word throat. You can say down your throat. You can say, I just slid my, uh, you know, pineapple banana split down your throat. And that sort of implies kind of something a little bit sexual. but you know, I just slid my dick down your throat is pretty goddamn explicit. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, it, it, so those content standards, if it is after 10, you know, as soon as we hit that 10 o'clock mark on these, uh, on these episodes, we get the, uh, the gore factor and the swearing factor go- just goes up. So what they're doing is they're going to drop those things in, in the like few minutes after 10. Yeah. And then they don't have to worry about it. But I don't feel like it's, I don't know. I don't feel like the show has ever shied away from gore and stuff like that before 10. But to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised if there are different standards for violence, because frankly, you see violence all the time in movies and on TV shows before 10 o'clock. And as compared to language or, you know, sexuality standards or nudity standards, right? Uh, Not that we're going to get much nudity on this show, but um, maybe the language is the one thing, or e- at least the, the meaning and intention of the language, right? It's like you can have, you can have the F word in a PG 13 movie once, as long as it is 
um, not in a sexual context. Right. So yeah, it could be like slid my dick down your throat is bad until after 10 p.m. But before 10 p.m., you can say you don't be such a dick, you giant cock feather. Like, right. Right. You can probably get away with that. I don't know. Yeah. So, and I'm just glad that we're having this conversation uh, just after 10 o'clock. It is. Like, it's 10, it is, 10 right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's 10, 10 right now. So we're having this conversation in the, uh, the perfect content standard time. Uh, you know, it's a podcast, but whatever. And if you're listening to this, everybody, and it's like 930 in the morning and you're riding a streetcar somewhere, please turn it off and wait until after 10 PM tonight. Well, that's the thing. Even if you DVR the uh, the Walking Dead, right, and watch it at ten o'clock in the morning, that's one thing, right? That you know the fact the fact is that it aired at the proper time for that, not at the proper time for whenever everybody's going to watch it. All right. So, so you know, not that we're airing this right now because you know we're not talking live on the internet. We're just talking you know live live to tape, live to live tape, to, live live to hard drive. It'll still be released tonight after ten p.m. though. So. We're, oh, perfect. We're covered, man. We're covered. We're golden. We're golden. All right, I got one more email here, and I'm glad this one's for you, baby. All right, so we have John on the internet. I always want to write after the show and in time for the podcast to release, but never seem to make it. Anyways, the real reason you spurred me on to write in was the blasphemy <laughs> that you just displayed in regards to 80s cartoons. Uh-oh. The tiger you are referring to is Battle Cat from He-Man. Come on, man. You basically poo-pooed on one of my favorite shows growing up and and confused it with Thundercats. Now, Thundercats is awesome, but uh, not a bad, uh, sorry, is awesome, so not a bad comparison, but it was He-Man. Right. So you were talking about the cat last time. Couldn't remember who had the cat covered in armor or the tiger covered in armor. And it was uh, Battle Cat from He-Man. Yes. And that occurred to me. After the fact, you know, obviously I wasn't recording the entire time after doing the podcast, but yes, you're absolutely right. I got confused. I got thrown off. I, I munched all my, uh, 80s cartoons together and I'm not a huge, uh, I don't know a lot about 80s cartoons. I know a lot about 80s sitcoms and about 80s adventure shows, but I don't know a lot about uh, 80s cartoons. So I did watch some Thundercats and I watched so little He-Man. I know that my, uh, I had a friend who lived across the street from me that, uh, that had a dog named He-Man and it was in the eighties. That's amazing. Told he did the, his parents told him he could name his dog whatever he wanted. So he said, He-Man. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I kind of want to get a dog now just to use a name like that. <laughs> yeah. So you're absolutely right. It, uh, he did have a battle cat. I didn't know it had a name, but I do know that somebody rode to, rode into battle on a cat with armor. And uh, apparently it's He-Man. We got a lot of email uh, to let you know, Jason, that it was Battle Cat from He-Man. Good. Uh, uh, Facebook I... comments, emails, a lot. It, it People really take their He-Man seriously. Yeah, and 80s. The 80s cartoons and 80s in general, people take, uh, take that shit seriously. I do. And you're absolutely right. And I'm glad you wrote in because, uh, you know, this kind of went, uh, is that He-Man? And now I know. I know it absolutely was He-Man. And yes, I absolutely did poo-poo all over that shit because I uh, I got confused. I didn't have, you know, uh, enough time to do proper research or fact check what I was saying. And you never do. kind of a dick. And I can say that because it's after 10 p.m. <laughs> it's after 10. <laughs> well, I my 80s cartoon experience, uh, ah, who knows if anyone 
cares? Probably not. But if not, they've probably turned us off already. Uh, but my 80s cartoon experience, I watched a ton of um, Rocket Robin Hood. I mean, I mean, in the 80s. I think that was from the 60s, maybe. <laughs> but I watched it in the 80s because that's when I grew up. Uh, I watched a lot of the Spider-Man, the old Spider-Man with the song. Again, oh god, that that was that was uh that was the one with the background that was always the same. Yeah, yeah, I love that god. though, man. I love that shit. Uh, but again, I think older cartoon that I that I watched in the eighties. I really enjoyed GI Joe. Um, so oh, yeah. you know, all kinds of all kinds. You of have good a bunch stuff. of GI Joe collectibles. Me, I have every one of my GI Joe action figures from the eighties when I was nice. when I was. 10 years old or whatever. Um, and they are well-preserved and they are currently in uh, storage, continuing to be well-preserved. You know so what? they're in stasis. They are in stasis. In uh, climate-controlled, you know, well, sort of climate-controlled. <laughs> uh, anyways, I, I even have, you know, do you remember when you bought the G.I. Joe action figures, they came on a action figure packaging you know with a board and on the back they had like a stats card for the character i cut yeah. out every one and saved them have them all still oh good i never owned a single action figure i am a giant action figure nerd at least i was back then and still kind of am because i do have them i never owned star wars i never owned gi joe uh not a not a damn one yeah well you were missing out man i still have some of my old 80s star wars action figures too but uh not many i do have that darth vader head like the bust of darth vader that opens up and it was an action figure oh, yeah. case yeah i have that so anyhow that's uh that's enough of our action figure talk and that is all the emails as well so thank you so much for to everyone for writing in um if you want to send in comments or questions or feedback, then uh, do so. And we'll try to include as much as we can on every Thursday night feedback show. And we promise to only say dick after 10 o'clock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we... Promises will not be honored. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, we'll be back, of course, on Monday night after episode 10 of The Walking Dead to recap it. And I want to remind everyone to send in your title reads if you want. Uh, if we get a ton, I might not be able to play them all, but I do try to play as many as I can. So if you want to hear your voice on the podcast, a good way to do that is to record the title of the episode, send it in, and I will try to play it. Um, the title of episode 10 is New Best Friends. And I'll be honest with you, I feel like that kind of telegraphs what the episode is going to be about. Yeah, spoiler alert. Well, it's the title. I, I can't really consider titles a spoiler, but we just encountered a bunch of people and the title is called, is, and the episode is called New Best Friends. <laughs> yes. So, you know, maybe they're fooling us. Maybe the friends they make are not going to be the people we think, but as it stands right now, it kind of feels like it is. Yeah. And then two episodes after that, it's going to be entitled Rick Kills Negan. I sure hope not. <laughs> I wonder what that's going to be about. The, yeah. The, the season finale is called Negan Dies. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Awesome. I don't know. All right. In the meantime, everyone, uh, if you'd like to contact us, visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com and click on Send Voicemail to record a message and get it into us. You can also send email to TalkingDeadPodcast at gmail.com. 
find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the talking dead or on Twitter at talking dead. Also, don't forget about our season seven, record your favorite scene contest. Uh, I know we ask you guys to record a lot, but that's because it's fun and, and we love it. And everyone wants to hear their voice on a podcast, right? I know I do. Right? Good. Well, if only you had a way to do it. Uh, but yeah, pick a scene, record it, fire it into us. And, uh, you know, that would be awesome. We'll play some of those as well. And um, I don't know, leave us a review on iTunes. I haven't bugged people about that in a long time. So uh, we love those five-star reviews on iTunes. Or, you know, if it's not five stars, an honest review. But it is a good way to help Apple and iTunes notice us and move up the charts there a little bit. Yeah, it helps people find us. Exactly. It helps people find us. Um, big thanks to Gato Negro Wines for sponsoring the episode. And uh, you'll be hearing about them a little bit more as the season goes on. Uh, if you want to check them out, make sure you visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Gato Negro Wine or on Instagram. The username is Gato Negro Wine. All right, that's enough, Jason. Until next time, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. <laughs>